Welcome back to our 10th and final installment on this series on Christian contentment. I'm going to open us in prayer, ask for God's blessing on our time, and then we'll get going from there. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your name would be hallowed, would be regarded as holy in our own souls and in our church and in all the world. Uh, we know that you've sent Jesus Christ to most pre, uh, most fully reveal you and to bring salvation to those of us who are ruined in sin. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for not only the ways that you have forgiven us from sin, but the way that you are moving us forward into likeness to Christ. You're redeeming our lives from the practice of sin and progressively removing it from uh, the, the way that sin characterized and dominated us. And so we thank you for the grace of moving us forward in sanctification, moving us forward in Christ's likeness. And in this class, as we've looked at this topic of contentment, we've, uh, I trust we've all come to see how crucial this area of growth is for us, that we would walk in the fullness of Christ's likeness that you have for us, that your spirit would lead us toward, uh, and that we would magnify your all-sufficiency as the God uh, who has no lack and no need and supplies all for yourself and for us. So we pray that you'd please help us to have alertness of mind and softness of heart. Please give me clarity and speech to unfold these things for the final time in this series. But Lord, we pray that the work that you're doing in our hearts through this material, through the 10 weeks we've looked at this, would continue to resound through our lives for many weeks and months and years to come. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are... um, Again, this is our last time in this series going through the Puritan classic by Jeremiah Burroughs, the rare jewel of Christian contentment, and really looking at what the Bible has to say on this topic um, through the kind of the guidance of, of Burroughs as sort of our tour guide. And this is a lesson on how to attain contentment. Now, in some ways, all that we've covered so far has been filled, I hope, with ideas, sort of sparked ideas of how as we've looked at the, the things of what is contentment and what gets in the way of contentment and all these things, we've, we've probably had a lot of how-to ideas sparked, both in, in the teaching and in our own hearts and minds. Uh, but in this lesson, we're going to address most specifically and most directly the issue of how-to. How do we who are in Christ by faith actually walk in the Holy Spirit and move forward in this grace of contentment? How do we grow? And um, as we've looked at, again, the definition and the value of contentment and the things that get in the way, I hope that, w- that those of us who've been along in this journey have a hunger and have had an increasing hunger over these weeks and months to say, I, wanna, I want to see my life more characterized by this. Uh, so I hope that that's the effect of today is that we get a little bit more practical about what that looks like to move forward in the grace of contentment. So um, let's look at, first of all, we're gonna, we could think of two ways of approaching this. The first is ways to think, and then the second is things to do. That's how we've broken it down in the handout you have. There's ways to think and then things to do. Um, so first, what are the patterns of thought that can help us move toward contentment in Christ? The ways to think. And the first is to consider the greatness of the mercies we have and the smallness of the things we lack. So kind of put them on the scale together. The things that we have versus the things that we lack. Uh, How great the former is and how how small really the latter is. So um, would someone be willing to look up Ephesians 1.3 and read that for us? Yeah, Jason. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So this is declaration of blessing to God because in, in Christ, He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Which means, this is, this, is, uh, this is probably something that most or all of us are familiar with this verse and this concept. But if we kind of tease it out a little bit, what's the implication? It means everything, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, everything you lack is something that non-believers might have. It's something that is not part of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we might tend to idealize certain goods or experiences in this life as though they were the key to happiness, as though they were the key to blessedness, to being blessed. Uh, So it's, it's actually crucial, this word, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Everything that makes for happiness, we have in Christ. 
But we can idealize certain things we lack. Maybe we want children and God has said no to that. Or we want a, a better job or better living situation or things like that. But consider, these are all things that God gives to reprobate people sometimes. Often. These are things that God gives to hellbound people sometimes. And it certainly is out of true goodness and grace that God does that. There's that teaching out of, of Matthew 5 where he says God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There's a sort of widely distributed mercy and kindness to all. But just to think about, if, if we kind of build up this sense of this is the key to happiness and God's saying no to me and he's giving it to people that are not redeemed in Christ, that are not recipients of his saving love. It'll help us to just realize, oh, maybe that isn't quite the key to happiness that I have thought it was. Because the Bible reorients us and says, no, actually everything that truly makes for spiritual I keep using kind of happiness and blessing interchangeably because that's really what the concept is. Everything that makes for spiritual true happiness is ours already in Christ. So there's this evaluation going, let's take the pile of things that I, I, I wish I had that I figure might make me happy and then the pile of things that I already have in Christ. And the, the advice here is let's meditate on how big this pile is and how small this pile is. Does that make sense? Kind of that, that way of thinking? Again, these are habits of thinking and uh, habits of mind that will help cultivate a heart of, of contentment. Now, how is this similar and different than the kind of the worldly adage, count your blessings? The idea of just kind of try to take stock and evaluate how many good things you have if you're feeling down or, uh, or ungrateful, things like that. How is this the same? How is it different? Yeah, Christina. More kids than I do, or that yeah. has a better job than I do, then maybe that they're more blessed than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and by and conversely, we can look down on those who don't. Yeah. So count your blessings. Can if, if it's if just take that on its own, it could become a basis for comparison. Um, and the things that we might tend to be counting, there are big discrepancies, right? And they someone else may have a lot better than we do in certain regards. Yeah. How else? How is it similar or different than just count your blessings? The way the world uses it. Well, I guess it's similar. We should have an attitude of thankfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the difference is where where is that attitude of thankfulness going towards? Yeah. So that definitely is who who are we directing this all to? That's a huge difference. Is this toward God who has given us our blessings and continues to give us our blessings? So it's not just this. Um, Generic out to the universe, you know. I guess I have some good things. That's a good point. There's also a sense of well, we're going to count them in different places, aren't we? Because if we say count your blessings, and there's value in this. Like look around it. There's a lot of value in this in just looking around at material goods and saying, God, you're good. You've given this to me. But if that's all we ever do, the point here is look at how much bigger the pile that you can't see. The spiritual blessings, and in Ephesians one, he's going to go talking about redemption and election and all these invisible but real spiritual blessings the real value of which we'll only fully see in eternity and he says that's the pile to really be counting okay so it's not just look around and say well i have an, i guess i have a decent job and, and there is again there is wisdom in doing that but he's saying let's look at the biggest possible horizon of evaluating how how good we have it in christ versus how small the things are that we don't have um, does that any, any questions on that or, or comments that make sense that we have thinking? It's really just a, an application of Ephesians one three as a, as a meditation for how to think about our situation. The second way to think is consider how merciful God has been with us beforehand. Consider the mercy and goodness of God to you in the past. Now, in an earlier lesson when we were looking at how um, some of the things that might tempt us toward discontentment. We, were, we, we looked at this, this idea of this can actually provoke us to discontentment, to say, oh, I had it so good in the past. Remember the good old days, the things that I had and lost, maybe a loved one or maybe certain possessions that are gone now. And you, and you could say, maybe I'm, I, I we, we said, like, you might tell yourself, I could be more happy if I hadn't lost those things. But I, I can remember all these great things I lost. Well, yes, it can be a temptation toward discontentment to remember the good things of the past but it can we can flip the script and we can actually make this a means of contentment and thankfulness because a content soul can look back and feed on past mercies and say 
this is still the goodness of God that I got to enjoy in the past. I was still able to taste and see that the Lord is good in the past experience of those things that I no longer have. And, and we can say, wasn't it good that I got to have those times? Even though maybe these times there's something more bleak, there's something more painful that's real. So we don't have to deny the reality of loss. We don't have to deny the reality of, of sorrow and pain. But we can look back and say, God was very good to give me those days, even if in His good, good will and His providence those days are, are gone now. Um, and isn't this powerful way of thinking? Because it flips what could become one of the biggest sources of resentment and discontentment. It totally flips it and puts it in service of praise to God. And I've found in my own heart this thing, you can look back and go, oh man, it, it was so much better then, you know, with some, something that's changed. And then to just stop and go, thank you God that you gave me that then. You were good to give me that then. And then just kind of, it just means God is good. He was good then. He's still the same God. His goodness still persists undiminished, even if the same outward forms of that are not the same. So just a, a very different way of thinking about past blessings and mercies of God. Um, rather than resentment that they've stopped, it can be just a means of continual thanksgiving. So any, yeah, Jason. negative side of looking back and a positive side. I mean, when we look back on the positive side, we're, we're, we're saying, God, you were good and did, um, thank you for being good. When we look back on the negative side, was, when it was better that I had X, we're really saying it was, you know, uh, uh, I'm so glad I had the pool. I'm so glad I had the yeah. job. It's you're, you're focusing on the thing you had and not the giver. You yes. Back negatively, you're focusing yes. on the giver when you look back positively. Very true. So yes, when we're, comp- the, 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 the way of looking back at past mercies or past goodness that is exacerbating discontent is not God-centered. It's going to be centered on the thing itself. It's going to be like, oh, wasn't it so great when this material circumstance was in place? But we're not thinking, wasn't it so good when God was good to me? Because God doesn't change. If we're thinking about it that way, if, and it might, if we were receiving it that way then, then we'd be more likely to stop, not stop praising Him when this circumstance ends. So yeah, it's just a good measure of whether we were actually focused on the giver or the gift. Yeah, Christina. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I often think about like with Joseph in Egypt, they had the seven years of plenty before the seven years of want. And yeah. to prepare, and he gave, he gave the seven yeah. years of plenty not just for people to be fat and happy and, yeah. and content, but to prepare yeah. them for the seven years of want so they could be um, yeah. a blessing to those around them, actually saving those around them. Yeah, so how much, I mean, how much wisdom in that and going, wow, God, now I see that you were giving me some fat years to prepare for these lean years. Instead of going, why did you have to take that away from me? It's so different. It's like, you are so wise and good to give me fat years to prepare me for lean years. Now, that's a very different, a very, a very godly perspective too. Very good point. The third uh, mindset or, or consideration is consider the way of God toward all creatures. And, uh, you know, you look at places like Proverbs 6, 6. And this is a little bit of an indirect approach. But Proverbs 6 is, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. And then the proverb goes on to talk about, you can observe how the ant behaves and you can glean wisdom from creation, from nature. Uh, there's a way that the, the, the person who's been renewed by the grace of God and been given eyes to see truth and kind of the way that sin has distorted our vision, God is renewing us away from that. We can learn wisdom from looking around at nature. God has actually revealed himself in nature. It's not as fully and clearly as he's revealed himself in his written word, but it's still, nonetheless, there's wisdom to, to glean there. So look at ants and think about how they work and what the outcome of that is. Well, the point here is, look around at the cyclical nature of things in the natural world. How there are seasons and there are periods. Look at climates, look at financial markets. Things go up, things go down. You have the, the, the yearly cycle of winter, spring, summer, fall. Um, and so many things in life, there's just ups and downs, right? There are good times, there are bad times. And uh, we all get this very intuitively, but then when we think about what we expect from life, it can be that we are so surprised we never expect times of affliction. Like we just keep expecting times of prosperity. And we think, oh yeah, then this will happen. We have these plans. Like in James 4, 13 to 14, he says... 
Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We can do that. We can spin all these expectations and plans in our hearts about what the future will look like. But we often just don't account for there will be dark times. There will be afflictions that I don't know about now that are coming. And now that could become a means of bitterness. I'm not talking about being cynical and fearful and bitter. Because again, this is all under the hand of our good God. But it's just a sense of just know that stuff's going to happen. There's going to be good years. There's going to be bad, like fat years and lean years, right? The seven years up, seven years down in uh, Joseph's experience in Egypt. Just to say that's the way that our fallen world works. That's the way God's providence usually works in this world. It won't work that way in glory in the new uh, creation. But uh, it just really helps to have our expectations dialed to that. Uh, there, will be, there will be unexpected blessings in the future. There will be unexpected hardships and afflictions. And maybe to just build that into our expectations. That will go a long way toward not being shaken into discontentment when those afflictions come. So any thoughts on that or questions? I think like I put in your hand, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a, there's a time for this, this, this poetic. There's a time for mourning, a time for um, rejoicing, a time for feasting, a time for, um, uh, for little, you know, all these things. That there's this cyclical nature of life. And that's just a a sober assessment of the way that the world is. So, any any thoughts or questions? Okay. The fourth consideration is consider that we have just a little time in this world. Um, one of the things that can make afflictions so bitter is that when we go through them, we can imagine implications that last a long time. We can imagine like, oh no, this is going to leave bitter fruit for my whole life. And maybe that's true and maybe that's not in terms of what the actual impact of this affliction will be. Um, Some hardship strikes and maybe it's a disability, the loss of a loved one or financial ruin. Some of those things really do have lifelong impacts. Some of them we may imagine it's more lifelong than it is. Um, But as we consider, you know, know, I I would argue in my experience, that's one of the things that can make afflictions so especially painful is to imagine how long the impact might be and to go like, oh man, I can never be happy again because of this thing happening. Um, As we consider eternity, how might contrasting what I just said with the perspective of eternity and zooming that whole thing out, how might that help us with this problem? It'll be over soon, yeah. It won't affect us anymore when we're in heaven. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, we might, I mean, again, sometimes it is factually untrue that this problem is going to cause sorrow for the rest of my life. Sometimes it is. Like, if it's a, if it's a disability that hits and you're like, oh, this will affect me the rest of my life. That can feel in an earthly sense like a very, a very dark conclusion. But like Matt's saying, in the biblical big, big, large-scale picture is this life is a very short time relative to eternity. Again, from James, our life is, is a vapor. It's actually right after what I just read in James 4. He says, don't you know your life is a vapor? You're here for a moment and then you're gone. You're 70 or 80 years, as, as Moses talks about. You're 70 or 80 years. Um, it feels like a long time in this life, or maybe nowadays it's 90 or 100. But it's a really a blip compared to eternity. And Burroughs reminds us, if you are godly, you will never suffer except in this world. If you are godly, that means if you're a Christian, not like if you're an especially godly person. It means if you're in Christ, you will never suffer except in this world. So, again, it's perspective. So the sufferings and afflictions that come, there can be this mindset of, it's a short time. It's light momentary afflictions, in 2 Corinthians 4, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And that can be a potent balm against kind of the gloominess of how things might hit us in this world. But consider eternity and how short this life is and how short the effects of these of these losses will be any thoughts or questions on that push back yeah matt yes 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 preparing for us yeah let's read that i kind of just just threw it out there but that's a good place to look more care- are, are you there at 2 Corinthians what, what's the verse 2 uh, Corinthians 416 mm-hmm. so we do not lose heart although our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day 
with this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thank you. So that what's really valuable about that text is it's not only comparing and saying, well, this is short compared to this, but saying the bad stuff in the temporary are preparing us for the good stuff in the eternal. Um, and there's some mysterious way that God is, is fitting us to receive glory with Christ by means of our suffering and sorrows as we follow Christ in this world. And that's a very hope-giving prospect, that these are actually one bucket is contributing to the other. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's so all the losses and all the pains that God is, is ordaining for us is somehow shaping our eternal immaterial soul for uh, for the experience of heaven in the resurrection of the body. So, um, yeah, very good. Thanks, Matt, for, for magnifying that. Um, the fifth consideration, consider the, uh, consider the condition that others have been in who have been our betters. So to put this a little more bluntly, better men and women than you and I have had far worse. <laughs> and if you look all through the course of biblical history and church history, and Christ really kind of standing at the center of all that, Jesus himself, you see case after case of people who, some of the great heroes of the faith, I think of like Hebrews 11, uh, some people and the things they went through, the waiting that they endured, the, the um, things that were promised that they didn't receive, or even the hardships and the persecution that they went through. Um, we can look it just almost through the patriarchs, looking at Jacob and how he was the heir of Abraham's bless, uh, blessing and the covenant but he fled without any possessions uh, across the Jordan, away from the land of promise. Uh, Moses had some obscure years as a shepherd uh, in, in Midian. And you go all the way through. And Jesus, who said about himself in Luke 9.58, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you have your own, do you have a house? Do you have like permanent uh, living situation? You have, I mean, he, you, he didn't have that. I guess he would travel around and uh, had to kind of rely on generosity of others. So, um, church history too. There's countless stories of martyrs and people who uh, faced enormous hardships. Uh, great men and women of the faith. So, um, this is again, there's just some kind of common sense wisdom in this. Is count your blessings, right? Just put it in comparison with, there are people that one could argue um, deserved less hardship and got more than you or I. It's the mystery of God's providence and how we deal with these things out. Uh, but this might just help if we're kind of stewing in self-pity and going, oh my goodness, nothing's going right for me. Uh, this problem and this problem and this problem. Um, it's a humbling point to just remember. Yeah. People who have been greater heroes of the faith have gone through much worse at times. Yeah, Christina. I, I, I'm, I'm about that. Yeah, yeah. Trials, there's this, you know, like, well, God wouldn't give me more than I could handle. Yeah. I've heard people say that even, like, like, I must have had this loss because God, I couldn't have handled not have, you know, like this blessing. It, uh-huh. I couldn't have handled this blessing. Um, so God didn't allow it in my life. Oh, yeah. Um, because I couldn't have handled it. And, or on the other side, like, well, those people are persecuted and go through these trials and tribulations because they can handle it. Yeah. And I couldn't handle that, so I'm kind of safe from that because I'm not strong enough spiritually yeah. to handle those kind of things. Um, or, you know, or like yeah. all these other things. And I kind of like, my interpretation of that is like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens yeah. me. His grace is sufficient for today. And so I think that that, like, I'm wondering about that in the sense of like, like and so, I mean, of course, we have Job as an example of somebody who yeah. did not deserve to lose what he lost, um, yeah. and this. But like, I'm wondering, like, sometimes how helpful that that like spiritual, like, well, if I could handle that, God would have, you know, given to, it to me or not, or withheld that trial from me. Yeah. Kind of situation. Yeah. Well, what, that's a good question. I mean, one thing that maybe be careful about is thinking there's something sort of just inherently in us that is or isn't. I mean, one thing to consider is it's these experiences that make us who we are spiritually. So it's not just like you either have it or you don't, and God knows you have it, so he'll, he'll let you have more suffering. There's a sense in which these light momentary afflictions prepare us for an eternal way of glory, and they change us in this life. They, they're part of means of God sanctifying us in this life. So yeah, maybe maybe there's a little bit too, too 
I don't know, fatalistic in understanding of what we are. We just are what we are. And God sees that and he'll either give us more or less. It's just more like who knows what God sees and what God is meaning to do in us through these things. So, yeah, I'm not meaning to imply that um, as much as just saying. um, And, yeah, even comparing ourselves with others can be can be dicey anytime. But I do think there's a value in looking at places like Hebrews 11. There are certain individuals held forth as imitation worthy examples. And I think there is value noticing a lot of them went through worse than me. And so it does put in perspective, I guess, some of the things that might otherwise bother me. But does that answer your question? Does that seem fair? Like within our own strength, like, yeah. And instead of God's strength, um, yeah, yeah. Whatever God, God has a course of sanctification and a certain good works He has in mind, and who He's making, how He's making us into Christ likeness. It's the same goal for all of us, but the way each of us is going to get there, and how far each of us is going to get in this life, is so individual, and God Himself only knows the whole picture. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of truth there. Too. Yeah, Matt early on in the series that this point was one of those don't do this. Oh really? Yeah. In the sense <laughs> Maybe. of when, when we're talking about contentment there's there's a Maybe there is a temptation to say well at least I don't have it as bad as these guys. Yeah. I should be content. You know. Um, I seem to recall there was some sense of discussion about don't use this as a basis for um, your contentment as rather look to God that he sovereignly knows what he's doing in your life for your purposes. Yeah. You know, among the millions of other things he's seeking to accomplish. Yeah. Am I, yeah, that might be do, true. Do you guys recall that? And, or am I play the tape back right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, that, that might be true. If that's the case, of, I'm sorry for contradicting. No, no, that's, yeah. I don't think it's a contradiction. I think there's a helpful There could be, yeah. Kind of a, for that, but, but to base your contentment on at least I don't have as bad as that guy mm-hmm. or this lady. Well, I would say if we're putting too much weight on this column, yeah, yeah, yeah. if this is like the, the beginning and end of our contentment is com- uh, horizontal comparisons, that's always dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of these things are maybe helpful supporting arguments in our hearts of going, well, you know, or ways that sort of defeaters for certain ways that we might be thinking, but not, yeah, not the sum and substance, not a healthy primary basis. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, Jason. Thinking about that, there's a difference between saying, geez, I'm glad I'm not Jason, um, versus saying, you know, God was, God's grace was sufficient in what he went through. And if, um, I don't know if if, 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 um, it, why, why would I feel like I'm entitled to more blessing than yeah. what he went through? I mean, those, those, are, those are two different frames of looking at it. And so if we're, if we're focusing on the horizontal comparison, it's bad, but if it's, if it's God was sufficient, that example, I can I can draw comfort from that, I can mm-hmm. draw strength from that, and we're not entitled to this level of blessing that we expect that we're, we're feeling deprived of. Yeah, it's another lesson we can draw from those years of the faith. Yeah, yeah, it kind of comes down to yeah to how God God centered the considerations, and I think maybe the limited value here is it's a defeater of the the the, the inside of hearts going. Maybe like I'm so, I'm so I'm such a valuable saint and I'm going through such horrible things, right? Like the self pity of like I can't believe I have to go through this much. So it's kind of like well, it's sort of a real world. Like well, let's test whether that those assumptions you're making are actually accurate. There's I think some value in that, but yeah, it's definitely not something that should be the, the primary consideration. Yeah, David. I think I think the column is stronger than you think it is. If you look at this point, it says consider the condition of others who have been. Um, the others have been in or have been our betters, right? And so we just stick with studying scripture. You're talking about Joseph, you're talking about Job, you're talking about Paul and his sufferings. And yeah. All sorts of examples of we're just studying scripture. Yeah. You're remembering that the Hall of Faith. Yeah. People like squat as a son in two. I mean, it's all there in scripture for us to remember for mm-hmm. a reason. It's there for a reason. So, like, I think this column is stronger. I don't think the point is saying, like, oh, just the comparison game. It's remember the example of the saints before yeah. that have endured much more, and it's given to us for a reason. Yeah. And ultimately, to remember it's the same God mm-hmm. who cared for them through their, their struggles as is caring for me and my yeah. struggles. He's not He's not withholding some of his goodnesses and his love and his power yeah. from me, me that he gave to them. That's like, yeah, that really echoes Jason's point, I think, which don't just think about them and themselves and think about them as as how God dealt with them. 
Which is the Hebrews 11 point is they were, they were examples of faith, which is what the author is calling us to there, faith in God's promises as they're realized in Christ. So, Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, there, there's some of these. There's a wisdom called how it fits together. Yeah, hi, Gary. I guess it's a tricky one. Uh-huh. I'll say that. Because um, I think of Paul, and he talks about his afflictions and his imprisonments, and basically tells the people, expect the same. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you will suffer in, like, in you know, similar ways. Yeah. And so he's not saying, uh, you know, you have it better. <laughs> so he's not saying yeah. what this is saying. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, I think in, in light of eternity... Um, we don't we don't deserve anything. Mm-hmm. We only deserve the wrath of God mm-hmm. and torment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good point, good point. Well, let's go on to point six. Uh, consider how you've withheld glory from God, even when he has supplied you with goods and comforts that you now lack. So again, once maybe there's something that you go, oh, I used to have X and I now... I don't have X and I can't be happy. Um, can someone read Colossians 3.17? And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through you. Thank you. So everything in the Christian life, everything should be bathed with thanksgiving. Do everything in the name of Christ, that's as sort of in and representing Christ and for his sake, and do everything bathed in thanksgiving. It's a beautiful verse. And we might tell ourselves and God a story in our hearts that sounds something like this. God, if you took away this affliction, I would be so grateful. I would be so filled with thanksgiving. I would be so devoted to you. I would be content. Uh, I would be like Paul in house arrest there in Philippians 4, saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We might tell ourselves that, but then the advice here is remember when you had those things, maybe before this affliction happened, was your life so deeply saturated with thanksgiving and praise to God? as you imagine that it would be now if, if this thing were gone. And if we're honest with ourselves, often the answer would be no. I did not uh, turn your blessings to thanksgiving and praise the way that I'm called to. And so once again, there, this can be, this isn't, again, the full answer, but it can be just a helpful self-corrective thing if we're imagining that, uh, that the circumstance is the problem in our contentment. Remember that sometimes in better circumstances, we haven't been more content. We haven't been more thankful and more ready to praise God. So, so again, it's just another kind of self-examination to consider. Oh, maybe. And uh, there could be mercy in God in giving us this affliction to help us to see, wow, I had this great thing I didn't even ever thank God for. And now he's taking it away. And uh, maybe if he gives it back, I'll be a lot more, I, I can be a lot more uh, tuned to how to praise him for it, how to thank him for it. So just remembering, just being sober-minded and humble about how, really how little we thank God for the blessings that we do have. Uh, The seventh uh, consideration is, consider all the ways you've experienced God's goodness in the lack of many comforts. So if you look back over your life at trials and afflictions you've experienced, when circumstances maybe have tempted you toward grumbling and discontentment, and then just ask yourself, how has the Lord used those times to bless you? How has he used those times to transform you into the image of Christ? And um, Burroughs recommends that we ask the Lord in our hearts, Lord, why may not this affliction work as great a good upon me as the afflictions have done before? Just remember the history of God's dealings with you and go, wow, God really used these very painful times in the past to move me forward in Christ's likeness and to bless me spiritually. And then so in the middle of the next thing to ask, God, could you use this one the way you use that one? Uh, really, this, this point just hinges on this profound wisdom out of Hebrews 12, that the Lord's fatherly discipline is uh, using pain for a purpose. He uses pain to cultivate in us the happiness of a righteous life, those of us who are in Christ. So Romans 12:11. for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So there's a short, this is discipline, there's a short-term ouch, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It is a course of, of um, change. It's a course that, that is meant to transform you and yield a lot of joy, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, happiness. 
And so we, many of us know this in principle. Many of us know Hebrews 12 and this argument that the author makes. But if you put it on like a pair of glasses and you look at your past through these lenses and you start seeing, oh, this was a dark season, this time of deprivation and sorrow. But then often we, if we can say, yeah, but it really it changed me. God used it to change me. Would you trade in those past experiences and say we could wipe them from your memory and also reverse all the spiritual progress God made in your life through them, what would you say? Would you do it? I think we'd all say, no, I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't do that. I'd rather not have forgotten those dark times and then also delete as though it were quantifiable. But you could like delete and reverse all that God did in me to, to train me in the peaceful fruit of righteousness through that. Would we take that trade? I think we have, everyone in Christ I think would say, no. I, I'm not necessarily asking to go through that thing again, but... Given that God got me through it and he, he brought this about in my life, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't trade it. And so apply that reasoning to your current afflictions and say, wow, uh, meditate and dwell and consider how God's, God's afflictions have brought about his goodness to you. And just assume that's happening again. It's always really hard to measure in, in the middle of it, right? It's hard to go, what's God doing in my life through this? We don't know. We're so, we're so confused and disoriented. But just to know by faith, he's doing something. And then looking back in our own past, we can see some of the things, start to see the outlines of some of the things he's done. I find this very encouraging. And, any thoughts or questions on this one? Alright, well that's seven considerations, ways to think. Now we're going to look at several things to do that are a little bit more practical means of pursuing contentment. Um, but even then it's funny. So the first one uh, is all the rules and helps in the world won't do us any good unless we get a good temper in our hearts. Which is basically to, to put it differently, everything you do has to be do, something you're doing in your heart, to your heart. So I, when it, this is a little aside on sanctification, growing in Christ. I think sometimes Christians get frustrated because there's a lot of teaching in the Bible, very clear teaching on um, growth in the Christian life. And it has, it's, it's all these things about like faith. And it's all these like truth uh, things. And, and we can go, yeah, yeah. When do we go from what to know to like, where do I get the, the really concrete like rules, the things to do where I start like, give me the sequence, give me the technique for growing in this. I've felt that in my heart. I've heard others say that. Like, I need technique. I need, I need a list of, like a checklist, right? And there can be some value in these things. But the, the Bible relentlessly focuses on the heart as, this, as the place where transformation happens. So what the point here is making is all the growth only happens as our hearts are transformed. Remember, contentment is we learned in the definition a long time ago. It's an inward gracious disposition of quietness before God. And, and all he disposes for us. So it's just a reminder here. It's not going to be outward stuff that makes the difference. It's going to be things that happen to our hearts. Some outward habits and actions may help, but they will only help by addressing our hearts. Okay? So they, they don't, it doesn't bypass the heart and, and change us. It changes us by changing our hearts. So why, why, why is that the case? Why is the heart... What are some biblical arguments we could make about contentment or even more broadly about why the heart is so important? First, get a good temper in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, well, the danger of rule following is pride. Right? Yeah. I've achieved those things that I've set out for myself to do and I've followed them to the letter. And yeah. Um, and those become superficial things in our lives that we then maybe point to for evidencing true change when in reality the heart hasn't changed. Yeah. We've just been good at following the rules. Yeah. So this is one of Jesus it's exactly right. His critique in Mark 7 in this account where he's going after some of the people in his day for externalizing righteousness. He does this in several places throughout the Gospels. Externalizing righteousness and thinking that by, by the force of doing of keeping rules externally, that is what God's interested in. And he says, don't you know it's from the heart that flows all these words and actions? It's, it's everything flows from the heart. Or as Proverbs 4.23 puts it, um, guard your heart for it's the, the wellspring of life, right? So um, for, from it flow the springs of life. 
So Matt, just what you're saying is it's kind of reflecting that point of because the heart, everything runs out from the heart, if you just try to fix the exterior and not the heart, it's actually going to end up in sin because you're, you're, you're going to find a way to take pride in it or things like that. So uh, it, it goes against the grain of how God made us to just simply tr- do techniques and checklists. Um, everything has to run through the heart if it's going to change us. Which a lot, that's why we're giving all these like considerations, you know, ways to think, ways to, to believe, things to tell yourself. Like that's actually how sanctification happens. You take God's truth prayerfully. It's not just merely intellectual, but it's prayerfully wrestling with truth and trying to bring it home to our, uh, into our souls in, in terms of how we actually feel, how we think, how we, how we desire, letting our heart embrace it more and more. Uh, the second thing to do is don't grasp too much of the world. So, um, if we fill our lives with discretionary tempor- temporal goods, um, it can be really fun. It can be really nice. It can be a lot of, of short-term enjoyment. But the thing about all these things, these are inherently temporal things, which means we're opening ourselves up to vulnerability to a lot of stings and pains because these things will be lost. So don't be surprised if you... If you try to live your life maximizing your enjoyment of temporal pleasures, don't be surprised when, when you feel a lot of pains and stings and losses over these things. Um, now, uh, there's tension. We heard a while ago from 1 Timothy 4.4 that God wants us to enjoy his creation. He gave things for us. It says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, if it is received with thanksgiving. So he says, we're not ascetics, we're not denying the goodness of God's creation and the enjoyment of his gifts. But on the other hand, Jesus warns us in Matthew 6.19, in, in this world, this is a realm where he says, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In that context, he's saying, don't store up your treasure on earth because this is the place where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So uh, the, the point here is, if you are going about setting up treasures on earth, you are setting yourselves up for discontentment. Because moth and rust and thieves are going to do their work. And the places you've invested your heart are going to find loss after loss after loss. So this can be a way to mitigate discontentment if we just invest our hearts differently. Invest on eternal things instead. Does that, does that make sense? So it's more of a warning. Don't invest. Don't, don't grasp too much of the world. Thoughts on that one or questions? All right, uh, third, exercise much faith. <laughs> exercise much faith, I like that. Um, a man, is a quote, a man may go very far with the use of reason alone to help him to contentment. And that's true. We've said there's some kind of common sense arguments you can make about contentment. We've seen some of them, and, and they're valid. Reason, there's a lot, you can just kind of reason your way toward why it's irrational to be discontent and things like that. But he continues, but when reason fails then set faith at work. When reason can go no higher, let faith get on the shoulders of reason and say, I see land, though reason cannot see it. I see good that will come out of all this evil. And so, yeah, there, there is, again, we don't deny just there's, there's a lot of um, kind of common sense wisdom about out there in the world. A lot of non-believers will identify some of these things that can be true helps toward contentment and, and things like that. But, there will be limits and fa- places where those things fail. And it's faith that's going to have to carry the day toward contentment. So what are some ways that faith is going to come into play here when it comes to contentment? Where, where is it going to require faith? Yeah. Um, I, was, I was thinking about this back at one of your other points. Um, sometimes you go through a trial and you don't really see the fruit. And that's mm-hmm. hard. And, and I think God's taught me through that that you do just have to have faith that yeah. it's his plan he's working things out and that's really hard because we, we want to see the fruit and mm-hmm. so uh, anyway it's just a point I wanted to make about you just sometimes you just have to say I may not get the details yeah you have to have faith anyway right so it can be so it's very true it can be so hard in the moment to see what good God might be bringing out of a certain temptation toward discontent, a certain affliction or loss. Um, and again, reason might say, sometimes we can reason our way and go, oh, I see how this could be useful. I see how this could do, do something, you know, have a good effect. 
But sometimes reason can't see that. We can't see those cause and effect. So that's where we go, well, God says it'll work this way. I'll have to trust him. I can't, I can't, I can't like reconstruct how that's going to work. Often our reconstructions aren't even true. But sometimes we can imagine and go, oh, I see. Yeah, I get that. And sometimes we're like, I have no idea how that is going to be redemptive, a redemptive, but God, God does. Yeah, John. Uh, I think we also have a tendency to focus on what's the good for us. Yeah. Like, how is this good? How is this suffering good for us? And God uses, like, our suffering for the good of others also, yeah. which we don't see. Yeah. Uh, often don't see. Like, yeah. with Job, it wasn't just Job that was benefiting from the whole situation. But I imagine his friends benefited some. Mm-hmm. Like, they got, they, God spoke to them, too. So, like, it's yeah. we benefit. more than just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. us, too. Right? Exactly, yeah. The very good point is uh, we're just not even capable of reasoning. Just even with reason, we're not even capable of seeing all the effects of what God's ordaining. So just the faith that he who is sovereign over all these details is weaving a tapestry of unfathomable depth and complexity, but it is beautiful. And just trusting that he's doing it. Yeah, Christina. I think one of the things that's most tangible to me in those moments when I don't, you know, I don't, feel like I'm seeing the good out of a, a, a horrible situation is just knowing that God draws near to the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. And so even when I don't feel that, I can't yeah. see it, I can know that that is true. I know that he has promised to draw mm-hmm. near to me in those moments of, of deep struggle, trial, despair, yeah. loss, heartbreak. And then I can praise him for that, and, mm-hmm. and I can draw near to him in that process. I think so often in those struggles, we're, we're tempted to push away from the pain. Yeah. And ultimately, we know that God is allowing these, this pain in our lives. And so pushing away from the pain ultimately pushes away, us away from Christ instead of really pressing into Jesus and drawing near to him. And I think that the fact that he draws near to us first is yeah. empowers me to draw near to him in those moments. Yeah, beautiful. From the Psalm 34, right? He's near the brokenhearted and saves the Christian spirit. There are many biblical texts that echo in various ways. But that, Christina, too, there, there's a lot of good things you brought. But one of is some of what we need to believe. I think we're very good at recognizing some of the, the, the what's. Like God, like Romans 8.28, we know that. Here's a proposition. Here's a statement. It's a promise. It's very good. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is kind of underlies some of like what Christy was saying. There's a good he's bringing out. But what Christina, and, and Bros does this too, he goes, in order for that to have any teeth, like in our, any traction, there has to be a more fundamental believing in who God is. And that's what you're saying is, the God who speaks this word to me is the God who draws near the broken. You know, it, that's something about his character, that he's full of mercy and compassion. The goodness of God, the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God, all these things, knowing the character of God as this revealed in the pages of Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ, especially in the, the, the sending of Christ in the gospel, this is where faith has to grab that and go, I don't see what I don't see a lot of the what, but I see the who, and I see that he's made certain promises that that I can I can camp out on and I can uh, I can lash my my ship to and and i'll be safe so um yeah it's simple but it's very profound and very powerful for these moments is god is good he's using everything for your good and um he's wise and sovereign and he loves you so really our contentment will never get past will never exceed our trust in in the lord it's a very crucial exercise much faith um fourth labor to be spiritually minded would someone read colossians 3 1 to 3 Yeah, Jason. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Thank you. So you've been raised with Christ. You're in union with Christ, Christian. So seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above. Uh, this is so much of really the power of the wisdom of the Christian life is, is so much of your perspective is spiritual and not on, on worldly things, on things below. And so much of the way that we guard ourselves against discontentment is that we, we're, we're just dialed more into the register of things above. We're thinking about the Lord. We're desiring the Lord. We're 
considering his word. We're more in, in about prayer, just kind of an awareness of him throughout our day. If that's more the register that we're living in, in our, in our inner person, in our heart, this is going to have a huge effect toward changing our reactions when things happen, right? Like from a grumbling reaction to more of the things we're talking about, the faith-filled reaction and going, oh, I wonder what God in his providence is doing here. So it's just simply the, the point of, and this is spiritual mightiness is a very broad issue, but are we thinking more about things above? Or how much, are, how much does that pervade our thought life, things above where Christ is? Um, I almost don't even need to say. The more we're thinking that way, it's going to give us a greater tendency toward contentment, spiritual contentment, Christian contentment. Does that make sense? Any, any questions on that one or thoughts? Set your minds on things above. Um, fifth, do not promise yourselves too much beforehand. Do not reckon on too great things. This I love. Don't promise yourself too much. This is a very insightful point. We promise ourselves too much in our expectations. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. This is such a gut punch to think about. Um, how much of our discontentment stems from we told ourselves we would be able to have X. But God didn't promise that. God didn't promise X or Y or Z, the thing that you are so bitter or struggling with bitterness that you don't get. God does give us great promises. He'll never withhold any good from us. We just heard about He'll use, work all things for our good. Um, but to, to maybe tease this out, to try the mental exercise of making a list of all the things. <laughs> that you expect from this life, such that if you didn't get them, you would feel cheated. I mean, that's a long list. That's a very long list. Like if you didn't get, if I didn't get the things on this list, I would feel like somebody cheated me, the universe or God or whatever. Like we often would think just the, we're not thinking that it's about God, but it really is. Like Jason said earlier, it's a long list. And, and a lot of things on that list are not things God has ever promised us. And so we start to realize, I'm promising myself a lot of things that God does not promise me. So just be sober-minded. Be careful about that. What we, expect, I, what we expect from this world should be more and more tuned to what God promises. And uh, be careful about promising yourself too much. Does that make sense? I found this one to be, oof. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty convicting and helpful. Um. Sixth, don't, this is a brief one, but don't pour too much over your afflictions. That means just don't meditate too much on your afflictions. Ambrose uses the image of like someone, I think he uses the image of someone like picking at a scab and it can't heal. Just like, ugh, <laughs> kind of cringy. But like there's a wound that you just keep kind of irritating and picking at and it'll never heal. And sometimes we have these things, these irritations, these discontentments that we grumble and we just kind of go back over that ground and we just keep stirring it up over and over. It's like you're never going to, be content if you just your, your mind you don't have the, the discipline of mind to get away from there close the door to that room that is not going to help you we just saw Colossians spiritual mindedness Colossians 3 1 to 3 set your mind on things above where Christ is later on in the same chapter we saw a little earlier Colossians three seventeen. do everything in the name of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving in your hearts so this idea of being spiritually minded and full of thankfulness that's not what we're doing when we're picking the scab over and over is it we're being very worldly minded and we're being unthankful. We're being the opposite. So we're picking, picking, picking. It's never going to heal. you got to get away and set your mind on things above. So it's very similar to some of the earlier points. But just don't dwell on your afflictions uh, in an in a incessant and unfruitful way. Um, seventh, make a good interpretation of God's ways toward you. Now, we've all interacted, unfortunately, with, with a person... Um, who is making the least possible charitable assumptions toward you, who is interpreting your words and your actions in the least charitable way. And everything that you say and do, and you mean it innocently, and it somehow gets twisted into some horrible, uh, some horrible aggression against them, and you're like, what are you, I didn't mean it that way, you know. And we all hate that. It's irritating. It's aggravating. It's horrible for relationships. But we might be treating God the same way. Things that he... Uh, it, things, maybe some dark providence, some really hard thing he ordains for us, and we take it as a sign of God being cruel. Like, oh, God's just delighting in my hurt, or God is abandoning me, or being negligent. 
but believe the best of God. I mean, if you and I would say we deserve the we deserve others to give us the, kind of the benefit of the doubt, um, how much more does God deserve that? Right? He he actually is incapable of any impurity or sin or injustice. Uh, so instead of going, oh, maybe God's being cruel, maybe God is is ignoring or be, you know being negligent. Again, we don't know what the answers to these things are. So I'm not saying we should try to speculate and come di- come down to a, a, a firm, concrete answer. But it's helpful to imagine some things like this, to even tell ourselves, well, why is this happening to me? Maybe God wants to wean me off myself, uh, my over-reliance on created things and turn me to him. Maybe he sees that I'm on an imp- uh, a course of drift that I don't even perceive toward idolatry or greed or something like that. And he's trying to steer me back. He's trying to correct me. Maybe he's preparing me for some great work he has in my future, some uh, means of fruitfulness that he wants to prepare me for. But these are all very um, favorable interpretations, right? Like, God must have some, some good thing he's seen that, that's, that he wants to do through this. It's that attitude of, huh, it's just assuming there's something that I don't see, but, it's, it, but he sees it. He's doing something good here. He's up to something good. Um, it's just like in... Um, I think I, I pointed out Exodus 16.3. We heard about the wilderness generation in some of Jason's lessons, but Israel, this is like the chapter after they're singing the praises of God for the Red Sea deliverance, and they say to Moses, but this is really against God, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's giving a negative, like the, a least charitable interpretation on events that is possible. Um, but love is not irritable, 1 Corinthians 13.5. It's not looking for ir- ways to become irritated. And it believes all things, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It tries to give the benefit of the doubt. So um, if we owe that to each other, we certainly owe it to God. He's, again, he's incapable of, of doing wrong toward us. So we can interpret his actions charitably even when we don't see. Thoughts on, on those things, questions? Um. Uh, eighth is do not regard the opinions of other men as what you feel yourselves in other words a lot of times our discontentment is projecting how we think others are viewing the situation um, and like a lot of our discontentment is is from comparisons like saying well everyone else um, everyone else is going to think I'm a loser because I don't have this thing Right, so there can be a lot of just per- imagining others' perceptions as a as a means of discontentment. What are some special areas where this happens? Where a lot of our discontentment is really it's rooted in kind of how we think others are perceiving us. What are areas where that's particularly um, going to going to be an issue? Maybe like career stuff. Like you might, you might have a career that in itself is fine. It, it meets your needs. It allows you to glorify God and use your gifts. But it doesn't look very prestigious. And you're thinking about other people with more impressive jobs. And you're like, you could be totally content in that job. But then there's this, this nagging like, yeah, but it's not an impressive job. And I, I meet people at parties and they have impressive jobs and I feel like a loser. Well, don't confuse how others do or might feel about you, your situation, with how you yourself. Just You can just... Be content and ignore that. <laughs> that's, that's what he's saying is don't, don't, uh, don't become dependent on how you think others view you. You can just be content with what you have in itself. Yeah, Maggie. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, you kind of, yeah. Yeah, if others, yeah, maybe we, we're not doing too bad with it, but others kind of can encourage us to feel worse about it than, than we do. Yeah, and if one thing, one little thought experiment to help us see the extent of this is, I think also possessions is another one. Like material wealth, possessions, this is a big area where so much of discontentment is driven by comparison. Um, so it's either how others view me or just what others have that I don't. Those are both kind of different variants of this. Is we're kind of projecting the thoughts of others. But if you imagine that you have your possessions stay the exact same, but everyone else in the world suddenly has less than you tomorrow, okay? Just imagine that. 
Tomorrow, you, you don't gain or lose anything, but you become the richest person in the world. Say you're, say you're struggling with contentment over your income and, and your, you know, your house size and your clothes and things like that. And suddenly that happens. Are you still going to be struggling with discontentment over your things? Or are you going to start feeling like, wow, I have it pretty good. You know? <laughs> Again, and comparisons are, are of limited value. But the point is, this can expo- expose a heart of, I'm, I'm being driven by image here and how, it, how what I have compares with what others have and maybe how others might see me due to that more than just by the substance of what I actually have. Um, so what is, really, what is really revealing is that covetousness can lie behind a lot of our discontentment. That's, we've probably seen that already in this series, covetousness, just wishing we had what others have. One of the Ten Commandments is against this covetousness. The other is fear of man. In Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. And fear of man in the biblical concept of that is much broader than simply being afraid of what others might do to you. It's broader. It's more being too concerned with others in place of God. So it's not only what can they do to me, but it's what do they think about me. So just to be aware that one of the, one of the, um, one of the ways to guard ourselves against discontentment is to be aware of the way that covetousness or fear of man is driving our discontentment. We can, again, return our focus to God himself and what he's given us Learn to channel that out. Fear the Lord instead of man. That'll that'll go a long way toward um, toward killing that that tendency toward discontentment. Any uh, thoughts or reflections on that? Questions? All right. Well, as we conclude here, um, we are going to move toward kind of a an application exercise. This is. The end of our, our 10 weeks, we've defined contentment. We've looked at its, its mysteries, uh, how Christ gives it to us, what makes it so beautiful and excellent. Uh, we've considered what makes us discontent and what arguments we might use to justify our discontentment. And we've tried to take some of those apart. And then we've, we've looked at today, what are some of the heart strategies for striving toward moving toward contentment in Christ? Um, and I pray that the Lord has given us all a vision of how praiseworthy and desirable this virtue is. Um, how happy it is to, to live in this quality of Christian contentment and how fully he can supply us by his grace to walk in it. And Burroughs leaves us with an apt warning. He says, I'm afraid you'll be longer in learning it than I have been in preaching it. And uh, we could say the same. We've been 10 weeks of learning it in this lesson. It's going to be a lot longer for us uh, the, in the school of Christ to actually learn this grace and to make it our own. But um, we dare not stagnate and tread water. I, I pray that all of us, that, you know, it's, it's a, a sad thought to imagine being in Christ for 10 or 20 or 30 years and not making any progress in this, in this area toward contentment. That you're still, 30 years into your walk with Christ, you're still just as shaken and, uh, and set off in grumbling by circumstances as you were when you first began your journey. I pray that wouldn't be the case for any of us, but that we're making progress toward that, um, that, that beautiful quality of Reliance on the Lord and contentment. So toward that end, in terms of growth, I want to return. Jason warned, warned us last week we were going to do this. So return to some questions I asked you in the very beginning of the series, sort of self-evaluation questions. And I want to return to them and actually add a couple more uh, and give you a few minutes to reflect and maybe write down answers. You may or may not have the answers you wrote before, like in a notebook. Uh, either way is okay. If you do have them, it would be good to look at them. But the first one is, um, as you think of various Christian virtues or character qualities that the Spirit is producing in us by faith in Christ, how well are you doing in contentment? So just in the whole life of ways that we grow in Christ, the ways that we come to be like Christ, how well are you doing in contentment on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 is the virtue you struggle with most. I'm, this is like my main area of weakness. Or 10 is like, I think this is actually my strength. It's probably the best uh, kind of the best thing, the, the thing I'm best at, so to speak, in the Christian life. Um, second, what are two or three areas in your life where you are especially prone to discontentment? Maybe the maybe your identification of those things has changed since 10 weeks ago. Maybe you realize, oh, I, I had things going on in my life. I didn't realize we're discontentment, and now I see it is. Or maybe it's the same two or three things where are the areas where you struggle most with it. Um, And then I'll add two more. The third one is, what are two heart strategies from this lesson today that you can focus on, prayerfully strive to embody over the next two weeks? 
So I'm going to be, here's the rules, here's the checklist. Now, I'm going to encourage you to grab a couple of these, because this is a fire hose. you got like 15 things. You're not going to internalize them all. Grab a couple that really got you, and think about what over the next couple of weeks I can pray and think about, try to return my thoughts to these things over the next couple of weeks and strive toward contentment. And fourth, who will you loop in in that journey with you? Who can be an accountability partner? Um, and, and simply what I mean is tell them which two things that you focused on and ask them to check in with you in two weeks and see how it's going. Um, and that's, of course, dis- I'm not going to bind your conscience. That's discretionary, but very. I, I, I urge you to do that. Find somebody you can talk with about, say, hey, I, I want to I strive to, to put on these two habits of thought in my heart. Uh, from this lesson over the next couple weeks and we'll see how we do. They can pray for you. And then they'll check in on you. So does that make sense, those four prompts? We'll take the next few minutes to answer and then I'll close this in prayer. Okay? Um, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer and if you have any questions or interaction that would be valuable to talk to me afterward, I'd be glad to, to interact with you. Father God, thank you that uh, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Uh, You are fully sufficient in yourself. You're the fountain of all goodness and blessing and life. And uh, you have plenty in yourself to please and bless yourself and all your creatures. And in Christ, you've brought us back to uh, enjoy you as the wellspring of our life and joy and salvation. And we pray that we would more and more have hearts that learn to feed on you and not on created things and learn to be quiet uh, in our souls under whatever you may ordain for us. Be glorified in our midst through our growth in this area as we look to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.